0: Hello, thank you for joining us on Three Women Three Ways. We are the show that tackles the tough topics. Sometimes we also tackle unusual topics. And one of those unusual topics, at least unusual for me, is humiliation. I just had this epiphany when I was doing a little reading, and I found a study that was all about humiliation. And it was in APA PsychNet, and it's called Toward a Globally Informed Psychology of Humiliation. What on earth is humiliation? We kind of know, but what that has to do with anything, and I wanted to find out more. So I contacted Linda M. Hartling and Evelyn Linder, and they are authors of the study. And uh, Evelyn has, uh, well, she's educated up the Wazoo. She has a dual education as a medical doctor and a psychologist. She's the founding president of Human Dignity and Humiliation Studies and co-founder of the World Dignity University Initiative. She's also a nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2015, 2016, and 2017, so we're honored to have you Evelyn.
1: Thank you. Uh, it's me who is honored.
0: <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, and yet I've been nominated for nothing. So go figure. Okay. Linda <laughs> Linda Hartley is director of the Human Dignity and Humiliation Studies and co-founder of the World Dignity University Initiative and Dignity Press. She has a doctorate degree from, in clinical psychology and is past associate director of Jean Baker Miller Training Institute at the Wellesley Centers for Women at Wellesley College. So, thank you for joining us, Linda. I'm
2: glad to be here.
0: Good. So, tell me, what does humiliation have to do with anything?
2: Oh, big question. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> because when you say that, I am go, well, wow. Our group has come to the conclusion that it has to do with a lot of things, and uh, it's pretty amazing to what extent it is uh, pervasive in our society. I guess I should say that Evelyn and I have been working together with a global community of individuals who are looking at the dynamics of humiliation on multiple levels, You can think of humiliation as an internal experience, those feelings of unworthiness, shame, depression. Or you can think of it as an external interactions, bullying, aggression, domestic violence, racism, sexism. Or you can think of it as systemic conditions, intractable poverty or forced migration, displacement. So there are so many levels that our community has been looking at to study this experience of humiliation. And, and that's what led to the article that you saw, The Globally Informed Psychology of Humiliation, is we were just reflecting on this global community that is out in the world, looking at how we can reverse cycles of humiliation and promote equal dignity around the world.
0: Wow. Great answer um, and makes me have a million questions. Evelyn, how did you get involved in, in an interest and in a, a, a hu- obviously a huge interest in humiliation studies?
2: Well, about over 20 years ago, in the 90s, <clears throat> well, actually, I, I came from a background of, in working in the public schools and education, and then I moved into prevention and substance abuse. Substance abuse and then into foster care support. And I became very interested in how relationships promote or uh, obstruct our ability to engage in um, healthy behavior. And that led me to this uh, concept of humiliation as being a force in People's lives that keeps us from participating in healthy relationships. We feel ashamed of ourselves. We withdraw. We do engage in strategies to survive those experiences where we feel put down, degraded, demeaned, devalued. So I,
0: uh, aren't you kind of wait a minute? Aren't you kind of victim blaming with that when you say that we uh, come up with ways to? continue in those relationships i mean don't we think that oh gosh if somebody is in a bad relationship they just pick up their boots and they leave right
2: yes well i think when i'm when i'm looking at relationships i'm not only looking at how humiliation impacts those relationships i'm also looking at what are the qualities of relationships that help us survive those kinds of situations what are the the Uh, qualities of relationships that help us to be resilient when we're faced with those kinds of challenges. It's by developing a scale to assess the internal experience of humiliation. And what stood out in that research was that people will uh, accumulate feelings of humiliation from various experiences throughout their lives. And also they feel a sense of fear of humiliation um, going forward, as a result of that accumulation, and these experiences tend to stick to us almost like glue in our lives. However, yeah, but you know, those negative
0: traumatic things stick to us so much more than the the positive things. Isn't that just kind of human nature?
2: I think so. I think that's the way you, you know humanity has survived. So that also led me into uh, working with the Wellesley Centers for Women or the Jean Baker Miller Training Institute in particular to look at. What are the qualities of relationships that give us resilience? And, and, and I was introduced to the relational cultural theory that emphasizes that growth-fostering relationships are a central human necessity throughout people's lives, and that helps us stay strong in the face of these kinds of experiences where we have been degraded or demeaned or devalued or living in inner conditions where, that make us feel Degraded or demeaned and valued. So part of our work with the Humiliation Studies Network is not only how to undo experiences of um, or transform experiences of feeling humiliated and degraded. It's also about building relational uh, resilience and skills to uh, overcome and transcend these types of experiences. But I developed the scale, and then at the same time, Evelyn. Is working around the world, looking at re, the, the the connection between humiliation and violent conflict. So maybe Evelyn could talk about that side of our initial start that of this work.
0: Great. They, thank you for doing my job there. That's great. <laughs> so Evelyn, can you tell us, you know, about this yes. global concept? I mean, I, yes. when I, I have you, to tell you that when I read this, when I hear humiliation. I don't think global. I think ooh, somebody said something that just ripped me to the core, and I'll probably carry it with me for forever. So, what does global humiliation mean? Mm,
1: you asked uh, Linda how she got interested in humiliation studies, and uh, allow me to to tell you that uh, Linda founded humiliation studies. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, she wrote her doctorate on humiliation in 1995. And I started to work on my uh, doctoral dissertation on humiliation in 1997. And it was uh, humiliation and um, war and genocide. And the case studies were in Somalia and Rwanda uh, on the background of Nazi Germany. So I finished in 2001, so Linda is the first one ever, to my view, to my knowledge, who has written uh, a doctoral dissertation on humiliation, and I'm number two. And uh, so uh, we, uh, together, we founded a new field in academia, a transdisciplinary field that goes from the micro level to the macro level. You know, the micro level is humiliation in in families and uh, the meso level you would say would be in societies, in communities. And then you have the global level and there you have dynamics of humiliation. Just now uh, we see that um, very, very recent uh, we see uh, the leader of North Korea trying to outhumiliate uh, his uh, those he sees at his uh, adversaries, and it is humiliation that it has the core. You know, trying to be or feel respected uh, on the background of feeling humiliated. So there you have the macro level. So it's a transdisciplinary field. From uh, that that uh, also includes all disciplines, academic disciplines, from psychology to history, anthropology, mm, all all sociology. You you there is no almost no field that is not touched by that. So it's a transdisciplinary field that is at all levels, macro, micro, meso level, and uh, so it's a. Therefore, it is also a new field, I think, because interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary work is not easy and also I think it is new, there's another reason for why it is new, the reason is that humiliation has become more salient in the in the recent years or decades. What do
0: you mean so, by
1: that? Can you explain uh, what you mean by becoming more salient? Y- yes <clears throat> when you uh, look at just let me take apartheid as uh, as an example, the system of apartheid. You and me, I think we would ag- agree that it's a system of systemic humiliation. And uh, when it was introduced, it was called segregation, and it was viewed as a solution for problems. It was seen as something very positive. So uh, when it was still seen as something very positive, it was also seen as um, pro-social to humiliate people into humility so that they would, you know, respect their due place in society. Uh, another example would be the um, the man who uh, still believes that it is his duty to beat his disobedient wife and children. This man would say that humiliating humiliating his wife beating her is a path for her to learn to respect her place in in society and uh, to learn humility so this is uh, the old system and still today many societies I just we had our last conference in india and there there is a caste system and um, the lower caste many of them they feel that humiliation is not a violation. It's pro-social. It teaches them humility. So we have a, a change in the English language in 1757 in the Encyclopaedia, that for the first time, to humiliate is no longer the same as to humble. No longer pro-social. It is for the first time antisocial. It is for the first time the violation of the dignity of an individual in 1757. So. Then come the human rights uh, declarations, and the core sentence in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is, every human or all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. And if you look back before uh this this turning point then y- this sentence was unthinkable like the man who is convinced that it is his duty to beat his disobedient wife or apartheid when it was still seen as segregation and something positive so this sentence in in such systems such hierarchical ranked systems this sentence would be all human beings are born unequal in worthiness and rights, and some are more free than others. So there is a turning point in history, very recently in our human history, which makes humiliation more salient because now humiliation is no longer pro-social, it is now anti-social. And if we look at Mandela, Nelson Mandela, what he did, he was born low, and he went to the uh, white... uh, supremacists in South Africa and he said to them, Look, times have changed. No longer can you arrogate supremacy because time have times have changed. Now please step down from arrogating supremacy, step down, meet everybody else in the middle on the level of equality and dignity. And he went to his brothers and sisters, the black brothers and sisters in South Africa, and Mandela said to them, look, it is not nature's order that you are down. It's not God's will that you are down at the bottom of society. No, it's a violation. You have a right to get angry. You have a right to rise up you know so so the right to get angry is given to those down by the human rights message by the human rights call the human rights invitation that we all deserve to have equal are equal in dignity so this is a is a call upon everybody who is down at the bottom to get angry basically and uh, to to do something about it you know the social worker would go to the beaten wife and say look here you know your your husband is beating you uh, you are being humiliated you have a right to get angry you know don't don't accept that, as you said in the very beginning. You know, pick up your boots, go. You know, but the wife might still be in the old framework and say, No, no, no. He loves me. I give him a reason. You know, I'm not obedient enough, so he has a right to beat me. That would be her her old response, or the traditional response. So now the social worker goes and makes her angry, you could say. And the, the husband would say to the social worker, look, here you come. You bring conflict into my family. There was peace before, and now you bring conflict and anger. So humiliation, therefore, is becoming more salient now.
0: Uh, okay. All right. Okay, so I'm learning a lot right now, just in the last 15 minutes that we've been speaking, and I never thought of humiliation as anything more than a personal affront. Um, But I'm hearing you making connections to words that have different meanings for me. You talked about humility, humble. Um, It sounds to me like humiliation, and what you just explained is it didn't used to have the negative connotations it has now. Um, But now it's very antisocial. Um, And now it's very um, uh, not a good thing, (laughs) by anybody's interpretation. (laughs) And because it's not a good thing, and because it is still used at so many levels, both consciously and unconsciously, is humiliation a way to control people?
2: Oh, I think it absolutely is a way to to control people, and in fact, it's it's a very um, insidious way to control people because people will re- restrict their actions in order to avoid being targeted by humiliation. It's so powerful in uh, affecting people's lives. So, yes, it's like a... Uh, it, threatening humiliation or humiliating other people leaves no fingerprints on the person. It's uh, internalized. They internalize these experiences and as a result often change the course of their lives to avoid those experiences in the future. So it's a very powerful way of, of controlling people.
0: I'm going to share personal experience because, well, I have no boundaries. I just, <laughs> I just share everything. It's okay. Um, when I was a child, um, my my mom um, would would use humiliation. Um, I don't. Well, I don't know, because of that whole complex daughter-mother relationship, and she had some mental health issues, et cetera. So I don't know whether she was doing it purposely or whether it just kind of came naturally to her. But she would say things like, when I was a little kid, um, somebody was kidnapped, and it, I, I was worried about that. And her response to me was to kind of laugh and say, you don't have to worry about being kidnapped. If anybody takes you in the middle of the night, as soon as it's daylight and they get a good look at you, they'll take you back. They'll bring you back home that has uh, always stuck with me and although i'm i'm not a beautiful woman but i'm not an ugly woman i'm an average looking reasonably attractive woman right always have been and yet i have always perceived myself as not being pretty and sometimes oh, that, i wonder did that did that one thing convince me that i wasn't good looking can that kind of humiliation well, first of all, is that strong enough to be humiliation? Is that really humiliation? And if so, is that one thing strong enough to make me feel that way for the next umpteen years? Because I'm really old. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so is that what we're talking about at a personal level as humiliation, or am I just overreacting and overanalyzing?
2: I, I have to tell you, Heather, I have a story – uh, somewhat similar, which is to say, some rather cruel brothers said, uh, The dog ran away because you were so ugly. Oh my God. And that stuck with me. And I think it was primarily because I had no counter message, I didn't have a parent available who was able to correct that kind of experience, to repair my thinking uh, resulting from that experience. And yes, it did carry over uh, throughout my life, which is, it it seems stunning, but I think this is one of the qualities of humiliation that we've come to appreciate, that these experiences really do stick to people like uh, superglue. And we've learned that they leave scars, and that actually what we can do is to work with those experiences to replace them with new experiences, and those new experiences are usually found in growth-fostering relationships or relationships in our lives that help us replace those past uh, images with new images and new experiences that strengthen our sense of um, who we are beyond that that earlier experience. So okay, I am I absolutely convinced it carries over.
0: Okay, and I want to come back to that um, in, in a little while. I want to talk about what we're doing about this, what you guys have, have developed and de- decided and uh, discovered are ways to kind of combat this and counteract this. Um, but first I want to ask uh, Evelyn, um, on a global level, that my, my little story and, and Linda's story about our personal, you know, kind of um, uh, intimate experience with uh, humiliation, how are there, how are comparable experiences to more global? Experiences. I mean, do we we talked about how it made us feel and it stuck with us. When you're talking about the systemic humiliation, global humiliation, do we find that with entire populations? Can you can you correlate our personal experiences to the global? Yes. Like
1: when when I um, began to work with humiliation, um, I asked myself. Or, you know, perhaps I start differently. When you uh, remember the First World War and the Versailles Peace Treaties after that, uh, they intentionally humiliated Germany. They thought it was a pro-social, a good thing to do to get Germany harmless, to stop Germany from being aggressive. So it intentionally humiliated Germany. And... Hoped that this would avert, prevent a new war. Instead, it made a new war possible. Because what did Adolf Hitler do? He he somehow used these sentiments of national humiliation, he brought them, he, he bundled them into a narrative, a story of national humiliation, and then he invited everybody in the uh, German population to invest their personal feelings of humiliation into that narrative and uh, for example let's say uh, workers in factories who since centuries were not <laughs> treated respectfully he he told them look now you have a new cause namely you are called upon to to be part of this national uh, story of, of respect and pride and that we have to get this respect back from being humiliated. So they had a mission now that they did not have before. And so he used national humiliation as a kind of a gathering point for the german population and they they invested their feelings into that narrative and they went to war
0: okay all right all right so as a as a group we can also react to that kind of humiliation i okay that makes it clearer to me what you mean on a global level one of the things that both of you have mentioned are consequences of humiliation um, we've kind of been talking about that a little bit. What, how does humiliation affect us? How does it affect us? Does it affect us physically as well as emotionally? Um, are there actual neurological differences after humiliation? Does it matter how often you're humiliated? If this is a repeated pattern or whether this is just a an off now and then a, a occurrence? Um, either one of you want to tackle those <laughs> that question? <laughs>
2: Well, I think it's helpful to know that this is a relatively new field of study, so the research is emerging, and there are some very interesting uh, pieces of research that talks about uh, the impact of well humiliation as a stressor that is a major predictor uh, or predictor of major depression and <clears throat> Strong research that suggests that uh, that the way people endure humiliation has an impact in their ability to participate in society. Uh, one piece of research talks about. Uh, humiliation creating, a, in, when we're talking about the global level and large bodies of people, the humiliation can create an inertia effect, which is to say that people won't act, they won't feel empowered to act on behalf of themselves and other people. But the research overall is growing in uh, Continuing to evolve, and people. This is why we have this community of of colleagues and scholars and researchers that are taking this work out in the world to examine just very different aspects of experiences of humiliation, from um, looking at how humiliation uh, affects children in schools and how people affected by in. Uh, domestic violence situations and how people are affected by all sorts of different um, experiences. And that's actually what led to the paper that we really learned in our research that we have so much more to learn about this experience. So this is kind of an it's a very exciting time for us to see what is coming out because people are beginning to recognize that humiliation has not only an effect on the individual, it has an effect on the witnesses to humiliation. Other people are impacted beyond the actual victim and it ripples out into the community. So you
0: I know, guess I would say I that we're really
2: me. learning a lot.
0: You, you mentioned about can the, I, can the i Yes. Uh,
1: you, go ahead, Evelyn. Evelyn, go ahead. Uh, yes, Linda. Uh, would you also like to share? You know that humiliation is the most intense uh, emotion, and that loss alone is not as strong as loss uh, together with humiliation. Could you uh, talk a, a moment about that?
2: Well, there was a, a wonderful study by a man named Kenler about uh, looking at different experiences that. Uh, as I say, major predictions of depression. And the the number one experience was the loss of a relationship, but number two was an experience of humiliation. But also the combination of loss and a relationship and humiliation was more powerful than the two that we just mentioned. And you can think of the people that have been forced Asylum, excuse me, um, forced immigration uh, asylum seekers. They're lost. They're losing their relationships, and they have to endure this humiliation of being displaced—a displaced, a displaced po- population. So <clears throat> it has an empower powerful impact. And some of this research is continuing to grow in various different ways and in different applications.
0: Huh. Um, we actually the- see it as
2: one of. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, uh, go ahead. Uh, Evelyn would, uh, and I think from her research, really illustrates that, that humiliation may be one of the strongest forces that creates rifts between people and breaks down relationships in society.
0: It's almost a betrayal if you're humiliated by a loved one. It's bad enough if you're humiliated by a stranger, but if it's a loved one that humiliates you, wow. That I mean, that's that's almost like an intimate partner betrayal kind of thing. Um at least that's my two cents worth with my dad. Absolutely, back. Oh, absolutely.
1: That's... If, if you are, you know, some people might simply laugh, uh, like if um, somebody just think of, of uh, a very proud uh, uh, male and then a woman hu- tries to humiliate him, uh, he will just laugh and humiliate her back.
0: Humiliation
2: is about power. Oh, it has a lot to do with power. And I think people's reactions to humiliation vary. In one of our papers that Evelyn and I uh, wrote for the Journal of Counseling and Development, we talked about people's response to humiliation may include uh, internalizing the humiliation, and people will blame themselves, and, uh, which leads to, uh, de- we think, depression. Or they may externalize their humiliation by attacking back, and uh, these are the kinds of responses that we're trying to look at. And how do you tr- move on from there? How do you transform somebody who is externalizing? And some would say some of the school shootings that we see, we have seen over recent years, have at the root a sense of humiliation. Whether they, the shooters were victimized by um, being excluded or victimized by bullying, uh, these are these uh, these situations can create, as Evelyn has said, a ticking time bomb that leads people to act out and, with aggression, or these situations can cause massive depression in individuals.
0: So we have talked a little bit about what is humiliation in the history of it and of our understanding of it and we talked about um ways that people can be humiliated um We've talked a little bit about um the effects of that, but the responses to that are you you just mentioned some self blame and either internalizing or externalizing um what are some of the other physiological responses? Um, what are some other ways that we respond to humiliation as human beings? Evelyn, I
1: think you have you have had uh, very very interesting uh, talks with other researchers on trauma just recently, and there I think the physiological um, reactions uh, are very similar because. Uh, If humiliation really has uh, has set yourself, you know, as you said, humiliation has to do with power. Humiliation, or very very important part, is to be made helpless, to be pushed down, held down, and uh, this is 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 uh, traumatic. So uh, I remember that uh, you had these wonderful uh, conversations in the past weeks. I think. Uh, where uh, you uh, were talking with people who were doing research about the physiological um, correlates of of trauma, and uh, I would say that this is relevant for humiliation. It's a form of trauma.
0: Okay. All right. So any of the responses that we typically see and expect from uh, trauma, a trauma experience, we can also expect from a humiliation experience. Hmm. Okay. Um, Let's talk... About the consequences. Now, again, Linda, you, can, you you're you're two steps ahead of me on my interview here, Linda. So you're very <laughs> today either that or I'm or either that or I'm very behind. <laughs> I, I coordinate my questions <laughs> with the clock, and I'm going no, no, don't talk about consequences yet. Don't do that. Okay. Um, but I want to get back to to consequences. Um, you talked about possibly depression. You talked about social inertia. Um, does it affect children differently than adults? Uh, Are are there different responses for children, consequences for children? We also had Dr. Vincent Folletti on the show, who, uh, of course, authored the ACEs study about adverse childhood experiences. And so ever since he was so articulate, and that study is so uh, astounding to me, I, I keep going back to that over and over and over because... You know, I mean, clearly, here, you know, having that kind of humiliation as a young person would be one of those adverse childhood experiences of, of trauma that can impact a kid for the rest of their lives. So uh, do we see this with trauma? Is there a, a particularly different kind of response among children who experience humiliation?
2: Well, I think what my key concern with the children is uh, I, humiliation can induce a type of isolation, which is people close down and close themselves off from the very finding the relationships they need in order to transform those experiences, to rewrite those experiences, to write a new story or new narrative about their experience of having been humiliated, why did this happen, who's helping them find their way to transform um, those, uh, those relational we'll images that had been hurtful in the past. And uh, as adults, I think we have more resources to deal with those kinds of things, but children, I think, are particularly vulnerable. And I would say my one of my key concerns is humiliation instills a type of disconnection, and that can evolve to an even more troubling state, which Gene Baker Miller, the legendary psychiatrist would say is condemned isolation not having any capacity to engage in relationships and therefore losing hope and so i just i think about children as having an increased vulnerability unless they have people in their lives even just one person in their lives that can help them move forward, help them build the kind of resilience they need to overcome those kinds of experiences.
0: Okay. All right. So we've got depression, we've got inertia, or we've got just the opposite. We've got people striking out and perhaps using, do, do, do we, if we, do, can we learn humiliation? Is that something we can learn to add to our
2: toolbox uh, as a way to live our lives? Ooh, what, uh, that's, a, that's a curious thought, Heather. I'm, I need you to say more. I learn think we have some very
1: good, oh, no, good uh, example in politics just now. <laughs> uh, you, know, oh. you can learn. If you, if you are humiliated, if you are uh, the recipient of uh, humiliation, one way is to, to learn how to humiliate the others instead, to hit back immediately. This is a learning process. Yeah. You can do it.
2: Humiliate mm-hmm. others in order to avoid humiliation, or using it as a yeah, tool—is to that what you mean, Heather? Yeah,
0: yeah, another tool to add to your box of how to negotiate the world, and
1: um, you know, wow. and you, even um, if you look, it look, look at black pedagogy. You remember black pedagogy? Alice Miller how she described it their parents you know and she wrote or she argues that this is one of the sources of uh, of nazi uh, ideology uh, the that parents were told that a good parent has to break the will of the child so a good parent would uh, beat the child a good parent would for example let the child have a dog or a pet and then kill the ba- pet in front of the child the 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 aim of of pedagogy was to break the will of the child so this is the traditional old you know called now black pedagogy but at some point these parents were taught to do that I uh, and they they felt guilty if they spoiled the child by not doing it. So uh, there they learned uh, humiliation as as a form of pedagogy.
0: When I was a child, parents didn't compliment their children. I mean, it was a rare mm-hmm. parent who did. You just didn't get compliments. If you got an A minus, it was why didn't you get an A? Um, if you did something good, why didn't you do it better? And children of my children's era were praised for everything. They inhaled. They got a trophy. You know, I mean, it, it just, you know, I mean, they were praised for everything. Oh, look at that. You know, one of my favorite stories is what my son did the T-ball, which is the very first attempt at baseball, where they put the ball on this little stand, and then the kids knock it off with their little plastic bat, and then they run to first base. And I was a first base coach, along with a, another father, and this kid little kid you know like we're talking five-year-olds came running down the 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 first line baseline went to first base he stopped about two feet short of the base looked at it looked at both of us and said is that first base and i said yep yep that's first base and he went okay and so then he walks over and steps on him which is what he's supposed to do right i mean this is fine but the uh the father just went yay congratulations you did it Yay!" and i'm going Really, do we need to be that enthusiastic? Because he put his foot on first base, and he had to have directions to do it. I I don't know. You know, couldn't we have just said okay? You know, I mean. <laughs> so the, what you're talking about with humiliation is all of our thinking about child rearing seems to be cyclical. Uh, it, it seems that I would like to say we we grow and evolve, but I'm wondering. I, I, if we really grow and evolve, or if we just have cycles where different qualities, different uh, manifestations of behavior, bother us more, and so then we swing the other way. That's a long, convoluted.
1: Yes, story, L- Lin- Linda can. Linda can talk long about the failure of the self-esteem movement. <laughs>
2: okay yes yeah, so the self esteem movement in America, which i think uh, a number of uh, scholars have talked about it, has led to an epidemic of narcissism in our society where oh, we're building please. people up uh as opposed to uh it, it, instead of uh, basing our value of others uh base, you know we the self esteem movement sort of led this is when i was a school teacher actually when uh, we noticed in, in this heavy-duty encouragement of self-esteem didn't really result in people behaving or uh, acting uh, respectfully toward each other. So they felt really good about themselves, but their their uh, engagement with other people was not so helpful. So that's when I started questioning the self-esteem movement, and I and I think in terms of in rather than self-esteem, I, that's why our work has looked at. Uh, dignity the the sense of worth having giving helping people have a sense of worth that they are valued and that they mattered versus self-esteem based on what they accomplish whether it's you know being successful in sports or other things it's a sense of worth for who they are rather than what they do so
0: oh can that's I our, jump in here I, yes. I used to teach a college, I, I taught at a couple of community colleges, and um, it occurred to me how these younger people had just overwhelming self confidence, and not only did they possess it, but they felt that it was number one on their list of what you needed to have. You needed to be confident. And so I started right, right on the, the whiteboard, and I'd put confidence the word confidence, and I'd say, how important is this? Oh, gosh, this is a very important. Oh, you have to have this. This is wonder. You know, every, every, everyone in the room agreed that it is absolutely crucial that you be confident. And then I wrote the word competence. And I said, how important is this? You know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and example. I went, and I went, you know, this, and I would circle confidence. Without this, and I would circle competence. Is just that American Idol person being Blair, voted off the thing and, and being outraged because she's the best singer in the world and why can't they see it? You know, um, it seems like to me that confidence needs to be based on some sort of competence. But exactly. the idea of dignity—it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how competent we are. Every one of us deserves dignity.
2: Exactly. I like that. Exactly. It's uh, everyone. Uh, well, we think of it as uh, everyone has something to contribute, and how do we create the conditions that they can make their best contribution, and 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 at the same time recognize that they're worthy virtue just by being who they are.
0: Okay. Once again, you took a step up in front of me because the next thing I wanted to talk about <laughs> is. What do we do about this? And you've already mentioned counter-messages. And, and, you know, w- let's talk more about what do we do, first of all, about preventing people from using humiliation as a form of power, and secondly, as uh, helping people who have been humiliated to uh, uh, learn, grow, and not be crippled by it.
2: Well, uh, for me, since I'm a, a relational theorist, I think one of the keys to transforming these humiliating experiences is to truly value uh, our relational skills, develop the relational capacities that support the equal dignity of the people around us and out in the world. And uh, I will refer back to What kind of relationships is crucial that we need to pay attention to the quality of our relationships. It's not the number, but what, how are we cultivating relationships in our lives that support the dignity of all people involved? And Uh, That really goes back to my work with Jean Baker Miller and her idea of growth-fostering relationships is is a good example of what we can do in our lives to facilitate the dignity of others because when you're in growth-fostering relationships, you'll see the outcomes of people feeling energized, empowered, they have greater clarity and, and knowledge, and automatically out of that grows a greater sense of worth. So my, my solution is how do we establish and cultivate those kinds of relational experiences in people's lives that will help them not only transform pra- uh, other uh, past experiences of humiliation, but also lead them to feel that great sense of, of dignity.
1: And I might add that I, I stop, uh, I have discontinued using the term of empowerment." Uh, I uh, remember it is in 2007 we had our conference in China, and there was, a, a, I think, a British professor in Shanghai who said, "I have empowered my students for years, and what was the result? The result? They became nasty people." So he said, <laughs> "I no longer use the word uh, empowerment. I use the word entrustment." And uh, I have since then entrustment to entrust entrustment. somebody with something, to entrust ah, okay. people instead of empower people. Because why? Uh, if you look at it, the uh, the term or the word empower has no no uh, end point. You can be empowered to become arrogant, and uh, you know i st- uh, wrote my doctoral dissertation among others about the genocide in Rwanda, and you could say there it even the empowerment led to genocide. Uh, because the people who carried out the, the genocide, the Hutu servant, Hutu means servants, they were the ones at the bottom of society for many hundreds of years. And at some point they were empowered to want to rise up. And they did that, but they rose up too far, you could say, and they attempted to exterminate their former masters. So, empowerment has no inherent endpoint. So, therefore, I don't use it anymore. And, uh, I uh, highlight that we need to gather at the middle line. You know, if you, if you see that as a, as a spatial, in, in, in space, you have arrogance at the top, you have humiliation at the bottom, and you have equality and dignity in the middle. This is the line of equality and, and dignity at which we all want to meet, or Linda and I and our group, we invite everybody to meet there. And this is the line of shared humility also. There humility comes in. Not, you know, not the meek humility of a, a subordinate, a humiliated a subordinate, it, but the 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 confident, uh, the entrusted uh, humility of somebody who is at the same level as all others, namely the level of equal dignity. So therefore, it's also important to highlight the term equality in dignity rather than simply dignity, because even the term dignity can be used in a in a ranked way. For example, a dignitary, a dignitary will say, "Oh, look here, I'm a VIP." I need am worth more than you. So he would there. The word dignity would be used in a in a ranked way, in a hierarchical way. So the, the point is to uh, to invite all to gather at the in the middle at the level of equality and dignity, where we hold hands in mutual solidarity and uh, and um, dignified humility.
0: You know, you and I think what taught, oh the, sorry the, Heather the notion of power fascinates me, and you're talking about your wonderful um, uh, PhD dissertations, and I tried to sneak this one into my PhD dissertation, but they wouldn't buy it. Um, I uh, someday I'm going to write my own uh, theory, uh, my power theory. I believe that people have to have power. They have to. It's a human need. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that there's good power and there's bad power. There's power over others and there's power over yourself. And I think that the good power is power over yourself, even though, like if you're a parent with a child and your child is running for the street, you exert power over that child uh, to keep them from running in the street. But as that child ages and matures, you teach them how to have power over themselves and within themselves, and that's the good power. That's my power Exactly. <laughs> I well, help you people write that dissertation. It,
1: say, no. Power <laughs> over and power to. Power to. I think what the positive thing, uh, your, your positive power is power to.
2: Power to there and is. power with. Power with yes. others. And I think oh, one oh, of I'm the not things noticed. that Evelyn's work illustrates or what she's just talking about, how important our language is. You know, how, oh, how we passion. use language to establish power structures rather than uh, language that facilitates equality and dignity.
0: Well, it seems to me that I don't, uh, I'm clearly not an expert in humiliation, but when you're talking humiliation, you're talking like uh, many other aspects of, of human life, which is you can probably humiliate people physically. Um, you know, I mean, I'm thinking back to the days of the stocks where in the public, you know, they yes. put people... You know, in the, in public to be humiliate them, but there's also uh, individual humiliation uh, that we can experience. And it seems to me that um, when we're talking, um, you know, I just completely lost my train of thought. Isn't that awful? Uh, but um, it it seems to me that when we're talking this, we we've already talked about different levels of humiliation and different ways of exerting humiliation. I want to talk in the brief time that we have left, because our time has just gone crazy, about the Human Dignity, um, and uh, let me see, what is it, the um, World Dignity University Initiative, what is that?
2: Well, this is a project we have been working together on with the Human Human Dignity and Humiliation Studies community. And the focus of this project is to bring dignity to the core of learning in higher education, to provide a platform where people can contribute from all over the world offering um, educational experiences that allow others to understand what it is to engage in relationships that offer equal dignity for all people involved and and in many different ways. And one example might be, Uh, We have been working in partnership with the University of Massachusetts looking at human dignity, human rights, and sustainable post-disaster reconstruction. And understanding the dynamics of humiliation and dignity is crucial when you are responding to major disasters and how to be helpful to people that have been traumatized by these events. So the World Dignity University is an extension of our um, efforts to make Dignity at the core of higher education and to make this kind of knowledge and learning that grows out of our community accessible to people throughout the world. Evelyn, you might have more to add to that.
1: Yes, it is, uh, you said it better than I could. It is an invitation to all educators and learners to come together and give their knowledge, uh, as a gift to the world. Uh, it is not a brick and mortar institution. It's a, a global, uh, virtual, um, it, initiative, and it is, uh, it is more an invitation. Uh, we are very unique in that we try to also are already manifest um, how dignifying relationships uh, need to be uh, shaped uh, in our economic systems. So we uh, try to uh, manifest a gift economy. In our all our work, so this World Dignity University initiative is therefore an invitation to educators and learners to contribute with their knowledge as a gift.
0: Wonderful. How would I find out more about this? Is there a website, or is there uh, something that I can? We have
1: a website, know. WorldDignityUniversity.org, uh, but uh, the uh, as it is. Uh, Embryonic, it is an idea, it is an invitation, and everything is done without uh, sponsor funding. They, we, have, we are very proud of a, a near close to zero budget. So, whatever uh, volunteers. I
0: think that's
1: a wonderful thing to be proud of, yeah. <laughs> Yes, so it's volunteers. Uh, Uh, or you know people who who really uh, give their time and energy and inspiration as a gift. So it grows uh, slowly and uh, just now we are thinking about, you know, we need more people to develop the the website uh, so that... uh, Educators, because we have many educators now who would like to to contribute and they need to be integrated in this into this uh, website and then also uh you know how when somebody completes a course, how will that course be? Certified, you know, what kind of certificate will that bring to the person, you know, and 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 so they are. It is it is a uh, an initiative that will hopefully uh, flower for the next five hundred years. Oh, I love that
0: idea. <laughs> WorldDignityUniversity.org. I'm going to go look that up, and I hope our listeners do too. <laughs> WorldDignityUniversity.org. I think this is something
1: that um, this is you know, em- embryonic. You see, you see more information because the World Dignity University Initiative is uh, one initiative of the Human Dignity and Humiliation Studies Network, and uh, the uh, there you find on that website you find more information. It is HumiliationStudies.org. This is an older website. I'm the webmaster, so whatever. The mistakes you see there, please inform me. It's my <laughs> fault. So uh, the humiliationstudies.org uh, the website entail, you know, is, is started in 2003. So it really encompasses all the history of our our global dignity movement.
0: Evelyn Lindner and Linda Hartling. I've had a delightful time talking with you. I can't believe our time is almost up, but uh, it's been great. I, I'm so glad to learn more about humiliation studies. I really um, never thought about it this much, but it really is kind of um, you know it's kind of one of those basic things where you peel back all the the buzzwords and you peel back all the trends. And when you're looking at humiliation, that's a real basic thing, and I really thank you both for being on the show and sharing your knowledge and your expertise with us. Thank you. Thank you, Heather.
1: Thank you, Heather.
0: Join us next week. We're going to be talking about more issues that involve women and men and human beings in this this world, and uh, I thank you for listening, and I thank you, Linda. I thank you. I hope you'll come back and join us again, Evelyn and Linda like to hear from you again. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Way.